Welcome to Deep Hollows and Dark Hearts, a podcast set in rural West Virginia about the things we may not always understand. I'm your host this week, Travis Ingram. Let's get down to it. Deep Hollows and Dark Hearts Empty valleys full bitten arms Deep hollows and dark hearts Bring us together and tear us apart We hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Hopefully you didn't overdo it at the dinner table or during the holiday sales over the weekend. We're changing things up here at Deep Hollows and Dark Hearts as I'm taking over hosting duties this week. We'd like to thank you for listening, and if this is your first time here, welcome and thanks for tuning in. If you like the show and would like to help us grow, give us a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to tell everyone about us, whether they be friend or foe. We would greatly appreciate it, and now that the business end of things is out of the way, let's get on with the show. Hunting in West Virginia is big business. It seems everyone and their mother down here enjoys a little time out in the woods, whether they're hunting for deer, squirrels, turkeys, ginseng, morals, or molly moochers, if you prefer. And this past week saw the opening of the buck firearm season throughout the mountain state, and nearly every acre of woodlands in the state is filled with hunters in camo and blaze orange, seeking the biggest buck they can find to mount or fill their freezers with. Accidents unfortunately happen when you have so many eager huntsmen out there, and sometimes a trigger-happy sportsman ends up getting more than they bargained for. This is... The hunt. It was a warm autumn, the warmest anyone had seen in these parts in some time. Bobby, tall and built like a linebacker, took a glance at the thermometer on the porch. It was just five o'clock in the morning, but it was already 55 degrees outside. He shook his head in disbelief, unable to grasp the concept of another 65-degree day of deer hunting. It was the end of November, and usually by this time in Boone County they had experienced the first frost, if not had their first snow. Nevertheless, here it was, the first week of deer season, and it felt like spring outside. Bobby grabbed his 300 Ultra Mag and slung it over his shoulder, itching to get in the woods. Cal walked out onto the porch, dressed head to toe in camouflage, with his 270 rifle in hand. Cal lived to be in the woods, and he had invited Bobby to join him on this hunt. It's going to be a good day for hunting, dude. I swear God doesn't see four of them out on the ridge this morning from the winter. Yeah, I hope so. It's been a pretty lousy bow season. Cal walked to the edge of the porch and leaned against one of the beams holding up the roof. Cal was unnaturally skinny and tall, lanky and clumsy looking. However, in Bobby's experience, Cal was the best sharpshooter around. There was no one else Bobby would rather have by his side out in these woods. You boys ready? The two turned to see their buddy Mel standing inside the screen door barrel of his SKS semi-automatic resting on his shoulder, 
Mel finished his granola bar and walked outside, shouldering a camo backpack. All right, let's do this, fellers. A few hours later in the woods of Wolf Holler, Bobby took a long, deep breath in through his nose, letting it out slowly through his mouth. From his tree stand in the old oak on the side of the hill, he could survey a decent parcel of the holler. He loved being in the woods, breathing the fresh air, and taking in the sights of what he referred to as God's country. And if he just happened to shoot himself a buck and, in turn, stock his deep freeze with some wild game, well, that was just a bonus. He scanned the tree line off to the east and spotted the two-person ground blind Calamel had set up. He liked knowing where his hunting buddies were in the woods. It was too easy to get separated out here, and any subtle movement you made could be mistaken for a whitetail by an overeager hunter. As luck would have it, at that very moment, something caught Bobby's eye. He tried to focus on it, but he couldn't quite make it out. It was brown, about the same shade of color as a whitetail. However, the fur was simply too long to be any deer from around here. And it was big, too. He couldn't see much but a small patch of it through the branches of the surrounding trees and bushes, but he could tell it was huge. He had recently heard a rumor that the DNR had released a few wild grizzlies around here, but then again he had also heard they were going to release African lions out here too, so he really couldn't rely on that. He heard a deafening <laughs> from across the valley and saw the brown thing drop. Grabbing his own rifle, Bobby started down the hill to the brown thing. He knew that it had to have been Cal that shot it. Cal would shoot anything out here to get his prize, the trigger-happy fool. Bobby approached the spot where the brown thing was, a strong stench filling his nostrils. He couldn't believe his eyes. Cal and Mel were standing next to the carcass of a Sasquatch. What'd you do? Bobby stared at the creature in disbelief as Cal beamed, proud of his trophy. I shot that son of a gun, that's what I did. Where'd you hit it? Mel shifted around, attempting to find the bullet hole without getting too close, let alone touch the thing. You killed Bigfoot! Cal squatted down next to the body, searching it over for the bullet wound. There didn't seem to be one anywhere on the beast's front, but maybe Cal had hit it in the back. Bobby knew there was no way they could move this thing. Bobby was a big guy, but Cal and Mel were tiny. The thing Cal had shot had to be at least nine feet tall. And it was built, too. If he had to guess, he would say it weighed eight, maybe nine hundred pounds. Cal lifted the head of the creature, and Bobby and Mel froze. Its crimson eyes shot open, rage burning in them like an inferno. It threw one massive arm behind it 
its colossal hand dwarfing Cal's head and casing it. It pulled him over its shoulder and stood to its full height, extending Cal above its own head by his neck. It shook Cal violently, snapping his neck. It released a blood-curdling roar as it tossed Cal's lifeless body at least 20 feet away. Frightened, Mel brought the gun to his shoulder and fired three shots into the mist. Unfortunately for Mel, none of these shots hit any major organs, and the beast turned on him next. It struck him in the side of the head, sending him flying into a nearby tree. Bobby's brain finally began to function again, and he began to run. He knew he couldn't outrun this thing. On the other hand, he wouldn't just stand there and wait for death either. He had to try. It didn't take long before Bobby ran out of stamina. Between his rifle, his heavy boots, the thick coveralls he was wearing, and his bag full of scents, calls, ammo, and his lunch, he couldn't run far. He heard the thunderous footsteps behind him, closing in, and Bobby turned his gun on the creature as a last resort. He managed to squeeze out one shot, and the beast stumbled back, frantically clawing at its own eyes. Bobby took the chance to run again, adrenaline fueling him, urging him to get as far away as he could to survive. He ran for a few dozen yards before it happened. Focused on the creature behind him, not enough on the forest floor before him, Bobby's boot connected with the tree root sticking up through the undergrowth. He tripped, losing his balance and tumbled downhill. It was a relatively small hill, so he didn't have far to roll, but when he hit the natural ditch at the bottom next to a briar patch, everything hurt. The wind knocked completely out of him. He gasped, panicking, praying for his lungs to work again. His breath finally returned in a loud gasp. The gasp was answered by a roar up the hill. Bobby turned to roll over and push himself up, but he felt a sharp pain in his left ankle that sent shock waves of agony coursing up his leg. He rationed he must have broken it in the fall. It didn't matter how it happened, but the one thing for certain was that the thing Cal had shot was coming, and he had to do something. He rolled back to his stomach, looking to the thick briar patch to his left. Bobby grimaced as he began to army crawl his way into the thicket, the briars pricking and stinging any flesh that wasn't covered, snagging on his clothes and threatening to rip them. He felt warm blood trickling down his face where the thorns had torn at his forehead, but he pushed through. Once he was a dozen feet or so into the thicket, he stopped, laying flat on his stomach. He pressed his face into the ground and prayed the camouflage coveralls he wore would hide him among the brambles. As he lay there, trying to remain motionless, trying to control his breathing, he could hear the beast stomping through the foliage. He could feel the vibrations from his heavy footsteps reverberating in his chest. As it neared the briar patch, its footsteps slowed to a halt. He heard its heavy breathing, even from so many yards away, heard a low growl with every exhalation. The monster sniffed the air, 
trying to pick up his scent. And Bobby thanked God for the scent blocker he had used on their way into the woods. After a moment, the creature let out a weak, half-hearted snarl and stomped off back up the hill. Bobby had no idea how long he lay in the briar patch. Seconds turned to minutes, turned to at least an hour, maybe even longer. He hadn't heard the creature since it stalked away, which was a good sign. He crawled back through the patch the way he had come, taking his time to avoid further scratching his face or his clothes. There was a small sapling close to the brambles, a young maple, and he used it to pull himself up to his feet. He tested his left ankle, gingerly applying a little pressure. It hurt like hell, but he had to get out of this godforsaken holler and away from the creature that had killed his friends. His friends, Cal and Mel. He'd watched the monster kill him with his own eyes, but it seemed so surreal. There was a faint feeling of sorrow there, but the real grief had yet to set in. Maybe it was the shock of all he had been through, but more than anything, he just felt numb. He stood there, leaning on the maple sapling, balancing on his right foot, collecting his wits for a long while. Finally, he found a fallen branch on the forest floor just long and sturdy enough to use as a makeshift crutch. He found his rifle in the ditch at the foot of the hill and cleared the barrel of the dirt and debris that had become lodged in his tumble. He looked back up the hill. It was at least 15 feet up, and the incline wasn't steep, but with his broken ankle, it may as well be Everest. But it was the way back to the cabin. Bobby gritted his teeth and began to climb. By the time Bobby reached the top of the hill, another 20 minutes had passed, and his left ankle was throbbing, pain emanating all the way to his hip. As he crested the top, he dropped to sit beside another oak tree, leaning back and catching his breath. He unlaced his left boot, carefully slipping both it and his wool sock off. The skin around his ankle, heel, and most of his foot was an unnatural purple color, bruised and swollen. It was tender to the touch, but to his great relief, no bones along his leg or foot were jutting out of the skin. That was a good sign. From here, Bobby could see the tracks left behind by the Sasquatch, easily two feet long with a good five-foot stride between them. It was a wonder Bobby had been able to run as far away from it as he had. The tracks led northeast, while the site of the initial attack was to the west of here. Bobby slipped his sock and boot back on, loosely lacing it up so as not to apply too much pressure. Using the makeshift crutch, he made his way to the side of the initial attack. He found Cal's body, a crumpled mess of camouflage. His every limb contorted unnaturally, and his head turned 180 degrees face down in the fallen leaves. Bobby took a deep breath and looked away, trying not to vomit. 
He had known Cal for years. They had practically grown up together. He couldn't stomach seeing his friend like this. He deserved so much better. He should still be alive. Bobby turned over Cal's lifeless body and unzipped his friend's backpack. He pulled out a camouflage poncho Cal carried in case of rain and draped it over his friend. He couldn't dig, and he sure as hell couldn't carry Cal. So this was the best thing he could think to do in respect to his friend. With a groan, Bobby stood and made his way over to Mel. Amazingly, Mel was still alive. His breathing was shallow, and he was unresponsive, but Bobby would still take that as a victory. He pulled Mel to a small alcove between the tree he was propped against and a small embankment and covered him with some dead leaves. It wasn't the best cover, but it would have to do. Bobby was slowly formulating a plan that involved going back to camp and getting the four-wheeler and loading his friends up to get him out of the woods. It would be a long and painful hike out, but he didn't have any other options. He started hiking, his ankle absolutely screaming with pain. Two hours later, Bobby came crashing down on the dusty old couch inside the hunting cabin. His ankle was now swollen to twice its normal size and was throbbing, the pain having spread to a near unbearable crescendo all the way up his leg and into his hip. He grabbed the bottle of whiskey they had left out overnight on the coffee table and took a long, deep drink from it. It burned, but the more he drank, the more numb he felt. He stopped himself before drinking too much, as he had need his wits about him for what he was about to do. He took off his jacket, his shirt, and his boots, tearing the shirt into long, thin strips. He wrapped them tightly around his ankle as a sort of bandage, put his boots back on, and started for the door. Something shiny caught his eye, and he stopped. The sun, filtering in through a window, was reflecting off the barrel of Cal's 12-gauge shotgun hanging on the wall. He grabbed the gun and a box of buckshot, swiped the key to the four-wheeler from its hook on the wall by the door, and went back out to retrieve his friends. Although the four-wheeler was substantially faster than an injured Bobby on foot, the thickness of the forest and the lack of a proper trail still made navigating the woods into something of an ordeal. Thanks to downed trees, thick brambles, steep inclines, it took Bobby another half an hour to reach the site of the incident. He found Cal easy enough, and using a tarp from a compartment on the four-wheeler, wrapped his friend's corpse as respectfully as he could. He lifted him, ignoring the intense pain shooting up his leg, and placed him on the rack on the front of the four-wheeler, using a ratchet strap to secure him. He climbed back on himself, Driving over to the tree where he propped Mel and found nothing. Mel was gone. Had he come to and tried to get away? He didn't think Mel was in any shape to be moving around, but 
and then he noticed the tracks tracks easily two foot long that had come from the east and led back east along with the indentation of something large being dragged along the damn monster had come back and it had taken Mel sitting atop the four-wheeler Bobby followed the tracks through the woods they were fresh left within the last hour or so and easy to follow but he still had to make numerous detours around impassable areas in the forest. Eventually he came to a clearing, a small valley between two mountains filled with tall grass and some long abandoned sheds. At the far end of the valley was a coal incline, rusted and collapsing by the rusted and collapsing at the end, left for the forest to claim decades ago. Bobby had heard of this place before. This was the old Kirby mine. Cal's daddy had told him about it when they were kids. It shut down years ago after the main shaft had collapsed, sealing the men inside. It was a terrible disaster and a black stain on this area's history, but Bobby had never seen this place before. He'd been all over these woods with Cal and Mel for years but had never set foot in this little valley. He brought the four-wheeler to a stop, grabbed his makeshift crutch, his guns, and the gallon of gas latched to the back rack, and followed the path left by the creature through the long grass. As Bobby passed through, he marveled at this man-made operation that time had forgot. The first building he came to, which seemed like the mine office, was overgrown with vines and ivy, but was otherwise whole and intact, seeming for all the world that the workers had clocked out one day and just hadn't come back. Bobby wiped down the window, covered with a thick coat of dust, mold, and pollen, and peered inside. Everything was in its proper place, as though the staff would come back tomorrow morning and pick up like they had never missed a day. Stacks of papers were collected neatly on the large desk, with a rotary telephone sitting next to an old typewriter at its center. Large metal filing cabinets lined the back wall, and an old analog time clock on the wall, the kind that punched paper time cards. Most of the cards hung in the bracket below, men who had punched in for an ill-fated shift decades ago, but never made it out of the mountain. It was all fascinating, and under different circumstances, Bobby would have loved to explore this derelict of another time. Cal especially would be enthralled with this. The thought of his friend reminded Bobby why he was here in the first place, and he moved deeper into the valley. He passed another building, this one a little larger, starting to collapse in on itself. It had a set of heavy double doors with a thick chain wrapped around the handles, locked by a heavy padlock. But the wall on the side of the building had fallen in, leaving a hole big enough for Bobby to peer through. This building had no windows, and Bobby obstructed most of the light from this opening, but in the gloom he could make out a stockpile of wooden crates. They were all nailed shut, save the one crate closest to him. He reached into the crate, 
pulling out the last stick of dynamite. He put it in his back pocket, made for the mine entrance in the side of the mountain at the far end of the valley. The air inside the mine was cool and musty, but compared to the relative warmth outside, it felt pretty good. Warily, Bobby took a small flashlight from his hip pocket, clicking it on. The light was sure to give him away, but the mine was so dark he would never see without it. Still, he used the flashlight in small bursts, lighting up the path and quickly committing it to memory before shutting it off again, and navigating by running his hand along the cool stone wall for guidance. Before long, the tunnel opened up into a large natural cavern, and there, propped up against the wall, was Mel. Bobby flicked off the flashlight, set the gas can down, and scrambled his way over to his friend. In the pitch darkness of the cavern, he could no longer see him, but he could hear his labored breathing. He placed his hand on Mel's shoulder, and the man gasped awake. Mel, it's me, Bobby. Bobby? That's right. Can you walk? No, no, my legs. I can't. Bobby shined the flashlight down at Mel's legs. It wasn't a pretty sight. His shin on his left leg was broken, the bone jutting out and staining his pants red with blood. His left foot was turned unnaturally 180 degrees backward. He clicked the flashlight back off. That's okay, Mel. I'll get you out of here. Can you hold a gun? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to drag you out of here. But if you see that son of a bitch, you blow him to hell. She. What? It's a she. She had a little one, not a baby. Like a yearling. Bobby frowned, but in the darkness, no one would see it. He wanted to kill the thing because of what it had done to his friends. But knowing now that it was a mother, that it had a young one depending on it, that just put things into a whole new perspective for him. Could he kill a mama just trying to protect her baby? He hoped it wouldn't come to that. Bobby turned to Mel, his friend wincing in pain as he did so. You gonna be okay? It hurts, but I'll live. Let's go. Bobby grabbed Mel under his arms and started to drag him backwards back to the tunnel. Once he had made it about 20 feet or so into the tunnel, Bobby stopped and set Mel back against the tunnel wall. What are you doing? Just stay right here. I got something I gotta do, but I'll be right back. Bobby made his way back to the large cavern he had found Mel in. He flashed his light around the room, and sure enough, there was one other opening on the opposite end where the natural cavern had been cut into and the tunnel continued into the mountain. And there, going right into the tunnel, was a set of large, human-like footprints. Putting the end of the flashlight in his mouth, Bobby grabbed the gas can and turned it up at the entrance to the other tunnel, spilling gasoline on the floor. He left the gas trail as he made his way backwards to the other side of the cavern filled the entrance to the exit tunnel with gasoline too. Back in the tunnel, Bobby took out his lighter, igniting the gas. 
flames shot up, covering the entrance to the cavern and spreading across to the other tunnel. Bobby took the stick of dynamite from his back pocket and lit it, tossing it into the cavern. It's when he heard the roars and the thunderous footsteps coming toward him. Ignoring the pain in his ankle, Bobby turned and ran the mail, grabbing his friend under his arms and heaving. He looked back one final time, and through the flames he could just make out the silhouette of the creature, hunched over in the low tunnel of the other side of the cavern. It roared ferociously, but it didn't try to cross the flames. Bobby pulled Mel, running, and could see the light at the end of the tunnel. An explosion rocked as the dynamite went off and Bobby fell to his knees as the tunnel filled with dark, black smoke. He could hear rocks tumbling as the mountain closed in on itself behind him, chunks of earth and rock flying by the tunnel of the smoke. He scrambled back to his feet and pulled a bell, closing the distance to the tunnel entrance to freedom. They emerged into blinding light, the smoke billowing out around them and their ears ringing. The old wooden support beams holding open the tunnel, collapsed behind them. The mine finally closed for good. Bobby checked on Mel, who looked even worse in the daylight, but was still conscious. He pulled Mel to the closest building, an old outhouse by the looks of it, and left him propped against the side while he went across the valley to fetch the four-wheeler. After helping Mel onto the back, Bobby climbed on, giving one last look to the mine. He felt a pang of guilt for killing the creature, despite what it had done to him and his friends, and even worse for killing the young one, or at least trapping it further in the mine, leaving it to die alone. As he reached the end of the valley, he thought he could hear another sound, the roar of the creature only not as deep. He allowed himself a smirk as he realized the young Sasquatch had somehow made it out alive. When his friends made a deadly mistake out in the woods, Bobby is forced to fight to stay alive. And while one threat may have been neutralized, it may not be the only one lurking in Wolf Holler. Bobby and Mel may have escaped with their lives, but at what cost? We'll have to wait and see, friends. But that's going to do it for us this time on Deep Hollows and Dark Hearts. We want to thank you again for joining us. We'll be back with more tales on Monday, December 12th, 2022, with a special holiday-themed episode. If you have the means and would like to financially support the show, you can do so at anchor.fm slash deephollowspod slash support. Of course, we understand that not everyone is able to give, especially during this time of the year, so instead, you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell everyone you know about the show. It helps more than you'd think. If you'd like to stay up to date on the latest news out of the holler, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to submit either a story or an addition for our consideration, you can email us at deephollowspod at gmail.com. Between what lurks in these hollows and what festers in the hearts of men, 
It's a dangerous world out there, so stay safe until we meet again. This has been a production of Dark is the Horizon Media. The Hunt was written and narrated by John Adkins, featuring the vocal talents of Daniel Adkins as Bobby, Joshua Adkins as Cal, and Timmy Adkins as Mel. Our theme song is by Odie and I. You can find more of their music on Spotify, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud. Our outro music is by Caleb Luther. You can find Caleb's solo music along with his band, Meet Me in the Matinee, on Spotify, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud as well. Our artwork is by Nate Tatum. You can find more of his work at Rainbow Bear Store on both Facebook and Instagram. I've been your host, Travis Ingram. Thanks, guys.